The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Today we are going to get to talk about mothers. And so um, as I was preparing, I didn't actually know the history of Mother's Day. So I, I went and looked up and it was a, a really interesting search to kind of learning about how Mother's Day came about. So early on over in the UK, uh, the churches would have during the fourth Sunday in Lent, they would have a mothering day and, and the mothers would come to their home church. And it was a day of celebration, a day of remembrance of what God uh, was doing in giving mothers and how he was working through that. But Mother's Day came about uh, in, the, in America uh, through specifically uh, two individuals, Anna Jarvis and Julie Howe. And they uh, started influencing Mother's Day around uh, before, during, and after the Civil War. And Mother's Day was really intended to be this day where mothers got together and where their, the idea of parenting was discussed and where mothers were equipped to better parent and better raise and steward their children and their families. And not only that, but as it was growing, it was also became a day of reconciliation. Mother's Day became this day where, because of the Union of the Confederate and the division that happened, Mother's Day was intended to be this day where their broken relationships were intended to be healed were intended to be brought back together. And, uh, and you saw in uh, 1914, Woodrow Wilson passed it and became the official day. And uh, Ann Jarvis's daughter, Anna Reeves Jarvis, uh, was the one that officially uh, you know, lobbied and got Mother's Day on the calendar and was so excited for the first couple of years. And then the last couple of years, she started to actually decry it. And she actually passed away uh, lamenting what Mother's Day had become because Mother's Day became so commercialized. And because it became such a big show and because of the influence of, you know, cards and flowers and everybody saw a way to make a quick buck and it lost the substance and the value of it. And so just a, a quick history. That that's that's the, the history of it and, and kind of why um, we decided we wanted to celebrate uh, this year Mother's Day is that we want it to be a day where we remember um, the calling that God has given to mothers, where we clarify that, where we bring encouragement um, and, and practically... Uh, yeah, practically love and thank uh, our mothers. So um, why we're celebrating? Uh, because we, we celebrate what's important, right? I mean, when you get a new promotion, when something goes well, we celebrate what's important to us. And we believe that motherhood is an extremely important and high calling from God. And so we want to celebrate that. We don't want to just let that go by without actually acknowledging that and celebrating that um, because it's worthy of celebrating. Not only that, but uh, I think it's also a, a really important time for us to clarify uh, what, what's, what does God say about motherhood? What is it that he proclaims from the scriptures? Um, now, you know, uh, confession, I'm not a mother. So, yes. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I have a mother, and my wife is a, a recent mother, but I myself am not. And so, therefore, on the experience part of motherhood, I am, I, I'm lacking. And so I'm going to, as much as possible, you know, I'm going to stick to what the scriptures teach about motherhood because I think that God has a, an infinite better perspective. Um, and also, uh, I, I did try to listen to as many mothers as I could. And so uh, in, in my time of preparation, you know, reading and gathering from from godly women that love their families and serve their families. And so as we, you know, as we approach Mother's Day, um, 
you know, I love the poem that Colin read because it just talks about that every, everybody in here, we all have different approaches and we all have different experiences with our mothers. You know, some of us ha- in here and Mother's Day has is, is been a day just of rejoicing because our mother was a godly mom and they really loved us and served us and showed us Christ, you know, um, and, and we're perhaps, you know, you're perhaps a mother now and, um, and others, maybe it's, you know, it's a mixed emotion, you know, maybe you're distant from your mom, or your mom has passed away or um, or maybe you've longed to be a mother and that's not a reality yet. Or, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's a midst of, of, you know, things that go on in this day. And so I kind of feel like um, when you're preaching there, sometimes there are these sermons where you're like, there's, it's really good, there's beauty here, but it's kind of like a minefield, you know? And so you're kind of like walking and you're getting people behind you and you're like, all right, like I gotta be careful, you know, like we gotta be, you know? So I wanted to acknowledge that there's a litany of different experiences that, that we have. And so um, I want to kind of portray a vision uh, for motherhood that goes beyond simply just biological mothering. You know, I think that that is an extremely important thing. But I think that the, the calling and, and, the, and how God would lead in that is, and, and something that would lead for all of us and how we would approach this, this idea or this, this calling of motherhood for what does it look like for the dads or what does it look like for those that, you know, are our grandparents or, or other people? How is it that we can come along and support that um, while also clarifying, uh, clarifying actual biological motherhood? So we're going to, well, lofty goals, we'll see. Uh, so we're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, and chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. And so these two texts are going to give us uh, kind of our guidance for this morning. So 2 Timothy 1, verses 5 through 7. Uh, Paul is writing in 2 Timothy, uh, and he's instructing Timothy. And, uh, and Timothy is a young man that Paul has taken on to disciple. And, uh, and so we get to learn a little bit about Timothy and about Tim- the people that have influenced Timothy in these passages and how vital that has been. So in verse five, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. So if there's a big idea that's going to guide our time, that's going to direct us, it's this. It's that God has graced us with mothers to help nurture and support us to maturity in Christ. God has graced us with mothers to help nurture and support us to maturity in Christ. We ought to encourage and celebrate them, right? In light of all that they do, we ought to encourage and celebrate them. And so real simply, it's going to break down. We're going to talk about a vision for motherhood, and then we're going to talk about a celebration of motherhood. A vision for motherhood and a celebration of motherhood. And so first, uh, a vision for motherhood. Um, what is God's vision? What's God's purpose in, in bringing mothers? Because he created Adam, and he said it wasn't good that Adam would be alone. Apparently, you know, um, self-propagating wasn't God's idea. He thought that there should be two people involved. And so he, he, out of man, out of Adam, created Eve, created woman. And he said that now this is, this is good. And it goes back down to why did God create humanity? Well, the reason that God created humanity is to rightly reflect his glory. 
is to rightly reflect his image. God created us in that we would show back to this world what he is like. And that we would show his kindness and his goodness, his love, his patience, all of these things we were to reflect back. And in, in the beginning, it was good. We rightly reflected that back. Adam and Eve, in their relation to one another, in their relation to God, they rightly reflected his care, his kindness, his patience. All of these attributes of God, they reflected back into him. And it pleased God. And, it, it, and everything else flourished underneath their, underneath their rule underneath their care, their stewardship. Things went as they were intended to do. But we see that the fall happens, right? Deception happens, sin happens. And because of that rebellion and brokenness, we see that this is the root of all destruction. And we see it, the the first place that sin starts is in the family. Is that it starts breaking down the family. And you see it right with Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, is that you see their sons, there's murder, And then right after that, look at what happens with Noah. You see that the the earth spreads with evil and it starts in the the family. Is it sin? It passes down this generational thing and it begins to enslave and break. And it gets to the point where God has to wipe out and cleanse. But even then in Noah, you look at his family and he gets, you know, and and it spreads to Lot. And then, you know, you look at Abraham and you get to Joseph. And if you read Genesis, Genesis is just a, a, a litany, a story of how sin destroys family of what it does and how it tears apart these relationships. And so you see that, that we are not able to rightly reflect the glory of God. Have you, ever, have you ever had a picture drawn of you? Have you ever maybe, you know, had a picture taken of you and it looks nothing like you, right? You're like, that picture is terrible. Like they hit me in the wrong light. Like my nose looks huge, you know? I mean, and it just looks awful, you know? Or maybe it's like you, you've gone to one of those, uh, you know, a theme park, and they, they give, they sketch a portrait of you, right? And it's like, it's all out of balance, and it doesn't look anything like you. And you're like, all right, we're never taking a picture of that. That's going in the trash, right? Is that because it doesn't reflect, it doesn't reflect, it doesn't reflect what you're like at all. Instead, it distorts what you're like. Instead, it, it wrongly represents you. And in some ways, you're like, that's a bad representation, <laughs> you know, because I'm not, I don't look like that. I don't, I'm not like that. And you see, that's what's happened in the fall, is that sin, sin has come in and it is destroyed, and therefore we no longer rightly reflect God's image. Is that we no longer rightly reflect his goodness, his patience, his compassion, his grace and mercy. Instead, we, we reflect this brokenness back into it. And, and that leaves us with a conundrum, because what it says is it says that on our own, parenting is a broken mission. Motherhood is broken and doomed to fail if it's on its own. Because of sin. Sin will destroy, and you see that. If sin is left on its own, unchecked, it will tear apart families. Not only that will it tear apart, but it will spread generational. When I was in college, I worked for a a children's home, and I saw the effect of generational sin, of what happens when family after family after family down the road refuse to to turn to Christ, and their brokenness spreads. And that's, that's what happens in our world, is that when families are are broken is that the sin spreads. Now, what does God do to remedy this? You know, because rightly so, it does not reflect his image, and rightly so, he should discard it because it's not a true representation of of his character, of his goodness. This is where we see Jesus comes and steps in, is that God loves this broken mess of humanity, and he says, I will not throw or discard my creation. Instead, I will come and I will rescue, and I will redeem 
And so you see that Jesus Christ steps in, the only begotten of the Father, perfect relationship, perfect intimacy. Now, some of you might have great relationships with their family, and, and those intimate relationships, the longer they are, the deeper they are, the more profound they are, right? The more loved and cherished they are. I mean, I've experienced that. You know, I mean, my dad and I have a very good relationship and through ups and downs, but that relationship is very deep and I cherish it. Now, I want you to imagine the best relationship you have, how far greater the relationship with the Father and the Son is from an eternity, a love and a care and a selflessness. And yet the Son would go and willingly come down and sacrifice himself. He steps into humanity, bears the brokenness and the sin that we have. And not only that, but at the cross, we hear this from Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This perfect familial relationship that has existed from eternity Jesus says that the Father has now turned his face from the Son. Why? Why is this family that has been in perfect harmony now broken? And it's because you and I might be reconciled. It's that our families might experience healing as he draws us back in. And this is the story of redemption. This is the story of how how motherhood can be redeemed in the glory of God, is that he says, if you will come and if you will but trust in me, if you will but accept my gift of grace and sacrifice on your behalf, you can begin to experience healing. You can begin to experience renewal and that this will change the course of your life and it can begin to change the whole course of your family's lives. It can, you can experience freedom and, and redemption. And so some of the things that we, that we see from this as a result of redemption, what, the vision for motherhood, is that the first thing that we learn from the scriptures about motherhood is that you have a higher calling than motherhood. Motherhood, while it's a very high calling, you have a higher calling. And your higher calling is first and foremost to follow Christ. That you, you must first experience redemption, experience grace, if you are ever intended to be a recipient or, or, or a, a producer or a giver of that grace that you have been given. And so this is what I hope you hear is that before you put your children, you must put first the Lord. And that this is the highest calling that any mother can ever have is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that Christ's call is individual, that he speaks to each mother and he offers that invitation to you. And he says, come, come experience my healing. Come experience my redemption. Come experience my grace. For I long to rescue you out of what you have had in the past, out of the brokenness, whether it's of your family or the brokenness that you've experienced in your own life. I want to change the course of your life through my love and through my redemption. And so that is a choice that each mother is given that each mother has to face. Am I going to come to Christ? Am I going to relate to him and experience his grace? Or am I going to continue to reject and push off and try to figure out this, this calling on my own, this responsibility and my own power? Now, there are consequences and there are results of either choice, whether we turn to Christ and experience his grace or whether we reject it. The consequences of making your children idols that you rotate your life around, right? what does it mean to make your, your child an idol? Because I think that that's, I think in parenting, that is one of the the hardest challenges is that you now experience the beauty and the joy and I'm just getting to experience that. Is that my wife has had nine months, you know, for him growing in her belly and now I've got, I've had three months and I begin, I'm just, I'm falling in love with my son. You know, like, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful to see him him grow and to see him smile and all these things. And it's such a powerful love. It's such, it's such a strong love, but it, it can be also such a dangerous love because the higher love is, the more it can, it can seem to replace the love for God. 
and it can creep into that. And so, but it's such a dangerous thing to replace the love of God for love of children because not only will it destroy you, but it will also destroy your children. You see, it will destroy you because your children cannot take the weight that you will put on them if you place them in the role of God. It will cause you to be bitter against them. It will cause you to be unduly frustrated with them because you, they're not pleasing you or they're not behaving as you would want them to behave. And they're, they're, you're putting that weight that only God can, can take upon them. You were, you were not intended to rotate around them. You were intended to rotate around the sun. Now, it also is going to, it's going to destroy them. I, you see this with parents where their whole life is their children. Everything that they do operates around their kids. Their schedule, uh, their fine, everything rotates. And on the surface, it seems very noble. It seems, you know, really gracious and really kind. But what it does is it's very dangerous for children because it teaches that they're worthy of everybody rotating their life around them. And it causes them to be entirely selfish, thinking that this world is intended for them, and it creates entitlement, and it, it leads them to a path of destruction because it's not true. They, while beautiful gifts are not worthy of our lives to revolve around, God is. And if they learn, if they are taught that their, their life is what is worthy of rotating around rather than God, how are they ever to let their lives not rotate around themselves, but instead to rotate around God? C.S. Lewis, uh, in his uh, book called uh, The Great Divorce, uh, Great Divorce is a really interesting book. Uh, it's, a, it's an analogy, and it shows the idolatry of people. So uh, C.S. Lewis paints this picture of uh, people that are given a second chance after hell. We don't believe that's true, but it's, a, it's an illustration, uh, and that they're given this opportunity. And so we see these, these ghost figures, and the thing is that in hell, they're shadows because the substance has been stripped from them. And so they step up into heaven and this, into the reality and it's hard and it's, it's true, it's real because they're almost like, you know, they're like uh, vapor. They're, they're see-through, they're shallow. And he records these interactions with these people that are coming from hell into the, the cusp of heaven and what it's like. And he records this one conversation of this woman that's having with her brother. And she, for her whole life, her, her son had passed, you know, at, a, at an earlier age. But she had never moved. She had never processed. She never mourned or grieved through it. Instead, her whole life had revolved, and it was. And her son was was an idol in her life. She worshipped him, and she worshipped that relationship. And so he's in this conversation with her, and she is. You can see it. She's frustrated. She's saying, "Why isn't my son here? My son should be the one here to talk to me." And and he says, "Pam, your son wouldn't be able to see you at the state that you are." You see the only way that you can actually experience true love or true grace or experience your son once more is for you to love something other than your son. That, that the only way that you can experience wholeness and healing and truly love your son is for you to love God more than your son. And I want to read this passage because I think it's really clarifying. He says, There is but one good, that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him and bad when it turns from him. And the higher and mightier it is in the natural order, the more demoniac it will be if it rebels. It's not out of bad mice or bad fleas you make demons, but out of bad archangels. The false religion of lust is baser than the false religion of mother love or patriotism or art, but lust is less likely to be made into a religion. Do you hear what he says there? He says that mother love, that that love between a mother and their children 
is a very high thing. It's very high because in some ways it really does reflect the heart of God and it's very precious. It's very beautiful. But he says the higher something is that is good, when it is separated from God, the more evil it can become when it's turned against him. And think about Lucifer. Lucifer was one of the prince in all the creation, beautiful, amazing. And it was because of his fall that it became the worst. And so too, some of the highest of virtues, some of the highest beautiful things, such as love for family, if they are separated from God, God is the only good. And when, when that love is connected to him, it becomes what it was intended to be, beautiful and flourishing. But when that love is separated from God, it becomes, it becomes destructive for both the, both the mother and for the children. And so I hope that we see that, that we first, the highest calling of motherhood is to put the Lord first because if you do not put the Lord first, it will destroy your parenting. It will destroy your, your mothering. But man, if you seek the Lord first, if you put him first, there are consequences, amazing, beautiful consequences that it will trickle down through your relation, through your relation with the Lord into your children into your parenting. So I want to talk about a couple other ways that motherhood reflects the glory of God. How does motherhood reflect the glory of God? Well, one way specifically is that motherhood is the means of bearing and bringing forth life. There's nothing, I mean, it was amazing to see my wife and to see her belly growing each, you know, each week, each month, even though she, you know, there's joy and not as excited for the, you know, for, for the woman in it. Um, but to see that because there's such an intimate knowledge that mothers have of their children to hear the heartbeat when nobody else is there to, to carry that little life around with you for nine months, such an intimate knowledge, such a care, such a, a, a love that develops. And that reflects the love that God has for each one of us. This, this longevity that God has known us before we were made, that God has been patient with us, seeing us to maturity, seeing us to, to new birth as it were in Christ. And so this, this idea of motherhood, it reflects and it shows us a little bit of what God's love and his patience is like. Not only that, but, but motherhood also reflects the sustaining love of God. I mean, I'm just amazed at how, one, how God has gifted and, and made moms to be able to sustain life. Not just through breastfeeding, but through just their care. I mean, through their ability to be patient through all the crying. I mean, good gracious, I'm so thankful my wife is more patient than I am. I would lose it. And, and so just the ability to, to sustain life, to be there through thick and thin. And I think that reflects the God who is patient with us. I mean, when you think about it, all the times that we rebel against God, but yet, yet he wills that we would exist at each moment. I mean, it blows my mind to think about that, that at the moment that Jesus was being beat, at the moment they were striking him, at the moment they were crucifying him, he at that very moment was willing that they would still exist, was willing that there would be a creation rather than nothing. And so too, even in our rebellion, even in our sinfulness, in the moments where we are are least deserving of grace. God wills that we would exist. God wills that we would be here, and he cares for us. And so I think that motherhood reflects this sustaining love of God in our life. And then the next thing, which we're going to spend uh, more of our time on, is that I think motherhood reflects God because it, it guides life. It guides life. And what I mean by this is I think that, that motherhood is a unique form of discipleship. I think that motherhood is a unique form of discipleship. And this is how I think that whether you're a biological mom or whether you're a spiritual mom, you know, you come alongside and you're discipling, I think that this 
this principle guides for all aspects of it. Um, but but it's, it's a guiding of life. That the, and you see this in, uh, in the passage. He talks about that it's their sincere faith, Lois and Eunice, it's their, their sincere faith that was what guided Timothy. And so we see that, that one of the callings that God would give to mothers is that you would first and foremost learn to, to treat your home as the first school. We live in a, in, a, in a culture, and listen, my mom worked diligently. My mom worked in an inner city school, you know, taught elementary school, and provided for us through cancer. And so my mom was a hardworking woman. I mean, diligent. But one of the things that I learned through that is that one, I mean, yes, you need to be hardworking, you should be diligent, but also that, that the first place that you serve is in the home. The first school that we should, we should learn is, is in our own home. It shouldn't be that we're delegating that out to other people. Well, the church will handle that or that school or that sport or this over here. Your children first and foremost learn from you, from, from mom. And it, it says this, it says that, that Timothy learned from his grandmother and his mother a sincere faith. And what does that mean, a sincere faith? It means something that's genuine. It means not hypocritical. It means that they weren't saying one thing and then living another because listen, as a mom, your, your kids, or as a parent in general, your kids are going to not just listen to what you say, but they're going to see what you do. And so a sincere faith is one that isn't just taught, but it's modeled. It's lived out day in and day out. And it, listen, it's not, a perfect, it's not a perfect faith. It's not one that isn't flawed or doesn't have mistakes. I think that it is one that is transparent. I think it's one that admits our flaws and failures. You know, one of the things that I remember most about uh, my own parents or those that have mentored me or poured into my life, it's not always their successes. It's what happens when they fail. What happens when they, they, they blow up and they get angry? What happens when they aren't selfless and they're selfish? What, what do they, how do they respond when they're broken? Do they justify it, they rationalize it, or do they bring it to the forth and confess it, acknowledge it? And so I want to talk a couple ways about what, is sincere, what does a sincere faith look like in, in motherhood. Um, I think that first it looks like understanding that um, parenting and, and motherhood specifically, I think, is fraught with fear. Uh, as I talk to moms or, or see different moms, I think that oftentimes motherhood can be fraught with fear because you're caring for someone um, and it's so precious to you. And I hope that, that faith is going to fight against that fear. And faith in, in a couple specific ways. First, I think that a sincere faith looks like trusting that God is worthy. Trusting that God is worthy. Hebrews eleven six it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that seek him. I think a practical way that you model sincere faith in your motherhood is you declare to your children that God is worthy. God is what? God's worthy of your time. God's worthy of your discipline. God's worthy of your sacrifice. Because your kids will learn, is God worthy or is your job worthy? Is God worthy or is your entertainment worthy? Is God worthy or are your finances worthy? What's worthy in your life? What is worthy? What do you think is worthwhile in your life? Because that is what's going to be of utmost importance to your children. They're going to learn that. They're going to see in your life. And so just a really practical, a challenging question is, Go and just be, be honest with your kids. Ask them, what do you think I find worthy in my life? What do you think I put as a premium in my life? What do you think I pursue? 
And I think that that's, a, that's a check. I think it, it helps us to see what is, is worthy. And we fight for that, right? We're not perfect. And there's tons of times where we fall short of that. And, but we acknowledge that. We say, Mom, I, you know, Mom hasn't, been, hasn't, hasn't put this as a higher priority as I want to. But that's not, I, I long for that to be and I fight for it. You know? And so we, we talk through that. We, we acknowledge that. So I think that we model that God is, that God is worthy. I think the second thing that, we, that, that motherhood models uh, as a sincere faith is that trusting that God is gracious. Trusting that God is gracious. You see, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his grace. And what this means is it means that your identity isn't found in your performance as a mom. And I hope that this speaks grace over to you because a lot of times I think that I see moms find their identity comparing themselves to other moms or, or in the checklist of all the things that they have done. And I, I hope that this breeds grace over your life as you realize that your identity is not found in your performance as a mom. Whether you have kids that love Jesus or whether you have kids that have rebelled or are hard-hearted, listen, your identity first and foremost is found in God's grace towards you and his love towards you. And so bathe yourself in God's grace and that your identity is found in his love towards you, not in your performance, not in your goodness. And it, this grace also, it, it allows you, as we've been talking about, it allows you to confess. Because listen, if your identity is found in your performance as a mom, then you're never going to confess your failures. You're always going to be defending. But if you realize that God's grace is what covers you, then that's going to allow you to confess it's going to allow you to acknowledge your brokenness because your identity is found not in your ability but in God's love for you. And so it brings forth a transparent life. And that it, it shows, yeah, it shows children also, I think this is a huge thing. When you trust that God is gracious, then you're going to accept that grace, but not only that, but you're gonna show that grace to your children. And what that means is it means that your children are gonna learn that your love for them isn't dependent upon their behavior that you don't love them only when they're good or only when they're doing what you tell them to do, that you love them all the time. And that, that that grace that God gives, it's going to move in and through your own life into their life and you're going to extend grace to them and that's gonna shape their identity. Their identity is gonna be shaped by your bestowing grace upon them. The next thing that I think that we, a sincere faith in motherhood models is trusting that God is holy, is that we trust that God is holy, that God is set apart and what this means is it means that we model that God changes who we are. That we don't, just, we don't just say things, but that God and who he is, he changes the way that we live. He changes the way that we act, what we think, what we believe. And that this means that God disciplines those that he loves. God, man, God loves me and he's disciplined me multiple times, you know, for my good because of that. And if you believe, if you trust that God is holy, that's going to lead you to care more about your children's approval of you than about their holiness and about their good. And it's gonna lead you to a righteous and a loving discipline in their life that's gonna be for their good. And it's gonna benefit them far more than their temporary approval of you in a, in a small season of life. And so, you know, hopefully those are some practical ways of what it looks like to have a sincere faith in motherhood of, of modeling those things. The next thing I think is it talks about teaching God's word, that one of the beautiful things that mothers do is that they are unique in their ability to, to teach God's words to children. You know, I know my wife especially, she has pretty much every song memorized from like every VBS. And so she just bursts forth even already with, you know, with Theo. And so I'm learning these things. And part of it's because I think that God's wired, you know, women in, in oftentimes unique ways to love and to steward and to teach children. 
Um, and so he says that we're to, to teach children. So the, the question I have for you is, is, how do you teach your children the scriptures? Do you have a process for that? Do you sit down? Do you have a, a, a daily quiet time? How are you modeling that? Because if, they, if your children don't see you ever getting time in the scriptures, they don't see you ever praying, why in the world are they? But not only that, but as, you, as you're able to bring them alongside, you know, there are great things. So the, there's the Bible storybook. I mean, we have something. But finding things that you can start conversation with your children with. You know, another really great thing is it's called the New City Catechism. And it has children's, like, answers for it. You can look at it. And it's really awesome dialogue. You know, start this conversation with your children about what, what are the scriptures? What does it mean to believe? And it says this, that it, it's, it's able to make them wise into salvation. You can't save your kid. You, you don't have the ability or the power to lead your kid to Christ. Ultimately, that is God's. G- salvation belongs to the Lord. But what your responsibility is, is that hopefully you're pointing them to their need for a savior. That as you go through life, as you point to the scriptures, they begin to realize their own brokenness, their own wickedness, and that they need someone to rescue them. And that that's what motherhood is, is a unique ability to do, is that you, no one usually knows you better than your mom because they see you day in and day out, so they know your brokenness. And one of the chief characteristics of a mom is that they are to show, they're not just to point out the brokenness, but they're to point them to the savior. To say, don't you see that... that this, if this continues on, it's going to destroy you, but I love you, come to Christ. And so a mom is to do that. They are to continue to beckon their children to come to Jesus, that they might have, that they might have life. Not only that, but it's also to, to know and to bring into maturity. You know, one of the things that I, being a pastor, I get to see people in all kinds of different situations. And, uh, and one of the things with, with children that I'm learning is that they're never at a stage for very long. And so they're always kind of growing and so I think one of the things that, that the parenting and motherhood specifically offers is that this unique way to look forward to the future and to equip is that mothers, instead of holding on to the past and what was, embrace what is and what could be. And so look at, you know your children well. How can you help to fan and to flame the gifting that God has given them? How can you see inside and what is there and call it out and lead it to maturity and encourage them into the next steps of life rather than holding them back from those steps? How can you equip them to face the future rather than holding on so they wouldn't escape in the present? And I think this looks like one, having a missional motherhood, being on mission in your motherhood. I see, I see a lot, two different errors um, with parenting and motherhood in general. Um, the first error is that I'm going to I'm going to leave my family, like not literally leave, but I'm going to, at the expense of my family, serve the Lord. And so I'm going to neglect my family and I'm going to not spend time, not be diligent, not be faithful. I'm going to neglect my family for the sake of the ministry, right? And you see children that grow up and they're embittered towards the Lord and are embittered towards their mom or their family because of that. And you also see the other mistake, and I usually see this mistake more frequently, is that we're going to forget the mission of God for the sake of our family, and what that means is it means that we're not going to go in any in uncomfortable situations. If God would call us to go on a mission, well, you know, I'm not really sure about that. I've got other responsibilities, other priorities. My children's soccer games or their education or their bedtime or all of these things pop up. And listen, we're called to be good stewards. But I think modeling what it means to, to not leave your family for the mission or not leave the mission for your family, but to bring your family into the mission. 
to embrace God's calling for your family and to bring them into the things that God would call you to do. And so one of the things that I think this practically looks like is it looks like bless. I mean, this is why we're doing this as a church is that you can bring your family into the mission of God by bringing them into praying for your neighborhood. I mean, bring your, bring your children in and hear them. Let them, ask them, who can we pray for that's in your class? Who can we pray for that's in your, that's in your, your you know, your sports team. Bring them into that. Hear them praying for your neighborhood, for your workplace. I mean, you're bringing them into the mission of God. Model that by listening. When you have your friends over, you're inviting, as you're eating with other people, you're inviting your neighborhood or your coworkers over to your home. Do you do this or do you say, well, we're just too busy? Listen, busyness isn't the problem. Belief is the problem. Belief is the problem, not busyness. We live out our priorities. We all do. And so we choose to make ourselves busy because we believe certain things are important to us and because we're willing to, to give our time and our effort and our finances to those things. And so inviting people into your home and modeling that for your children, letting them see you eating and listening, teaching them to ask good questions, bring them in different ways to serve. Now listen, I'm sure it, like we're limited in our season. He's three months old. We can't, be, you know, there's certain things that we can't do, but we can do certain things. We can, we can certainly do certain things that God would call us to do and serve together as a family. You know, hopefully they're seeing you share the gospel. And so my hope is that, that you would see the joy of discipling your children through living on mission with them, not by sacrificing God's mission for them, because that does not do them any benefit and it robs them of the joy of seeing that God is worthy and that there are things that are more important than our own comfort. And so hopefully, you know, I want, there's grace, right? I want to encourage you because grace is what motivates us to do all of these things. So now the, the last part as we, as we kind of close, we've got kind of a vision for what motherhood would be, a means of discipleship to raise and nurture up these young lives intended to bring them on mission rather than sacrificing the mission. So how can we celebrate moms, all right? How can we celebrate moms? Because moms do a ton. I mean, motherhood is often, from what I've seen, a very tiresome job and sometimes a very thankless job. Um, so from you know, delivery all the way through up, throughout, uh, it's, it seems like it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, and so I think there are three things that we can do to celebrate motherhood. Um, I think first is encourage them. There are often times where mothers are tired or where they are discouraged. And I think that speaking fresh courage into their life, and I think that that looks like uh, a couple things. Um, what are the challenges that they are facing and how can you join them in those challenges? And this is true, not, maybe it's for your own mom, but maybe you see mothers around you. What are the challenges that, that those moms are facing and how can you join them in that challenge? I think this looks like two, two ways. One, how can you speak words of encouragement in that challenge, right? What, whatever they're facing, whether it's they're struggling with, you know, breastfeeding or whether it's they're going through toddler season and potty training or they're in the teenage years, you know, what are the challenges that motherhood is, is giving them and how can you join them in that challenge? How can you speak a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of truth? Maybe they don't see how God's working in that circumstance, but you do. And you can speak into that and tell them that, listen, it's okay to persevere. And so a word of encouragement, I think, goes a long way in how we can celebrate moms. A, a second thing, I think, is that maybe it's your presence. You know, one of the ways that God encourages us is by being present with us. He says, I am with you, therefore do not fear. And so, too, I think one of the ways that we can encourage mothers is by being present. 
is by being with him, is by giving relationship. You know, it's so easy, especially when you're far away or when life is busy to not make time to, to skip out on the relationship. And so I'd hope that you would put a priority on that relationship, that your presence is a way that you can encourage mothers, whether it's your own or whether it's mothers that are around you, be present in their life. A second, uh, second thing, so we can encourage them. Um, I think also that we can be thankful for them, right? We can be thankful for them. So lots of us have different experiences. Maybe for you, there's lots of things that you can be thankful for with your mom, right? I mean, it pops up and there's like a long list. But maybe you've had a bad experience and your, your, your experience with your mom was really rough. I want you to try to focus on what was good. I want you to think, and, and maybe it's a challenge, but I want you to try to focus on what is good because God somehow miraculously looks at us in our broken mess and he calls out what is good. When I think about how God chooses to speak of me and all the brokenness that I've lived out, it changes how I speak of others. It changes how I speak of those that have hurt me or those that are broken. And so too, maybe you had a bad experience with your mom. I hope that you would see how God speaks of you and that that would change how you choose to speak of them and that you would speak and be thankful for the good that God has given through them and through their sacrifice in their life. And so I think that, that this looks like a conversation. You know, maybe it's a card, maybe it's a call, but hopefully today you've got some, some conversation where you're expressing thankfulness to your mother for the sacrifice that they've given, you know, and whatever good, because I promise there, the Holy Spirit will lead you into the good things that God would have you to say. And so, and then the last thing I think for how we can celebrate motherhood is that we can pray for them. And we can pray for, for your mom or pray for the mothers that are in your midst. You know, how can you sense, how, how do you sense God wanting to work in their life? What areas do you sense God is at work in their life and how can you pray for them in that? You know, so how can you pray for them and how can you pray with them? You know, that's one of the things I think that would be a great joy to many a mother is to ask them, how can I join you in prayer for things that you're desiring? And so asking them, what are you praying for and how can I pray with you? on those things, to know that they're not alone in their prayers, that they have other people that are fighting for them. And so as, as we go today and we, we celebrate Mother's Day, I hope, that, um, I hope that this both challenges you, you know, as seeing the call of motherhood, that it's a, it's a high calling. It's a vital calling. God uses that calling to shape nations, to shape families and individuals. And that also that there's grace in that, that we all fall short. And so that you're not crushed by the weight of motherhood so that you realize that God joins you in it and his grace covers our feelings. Our identity is not found in our performance, that it's found in his love towards us. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.